The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Mini Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Critically Acclaimed, the movie review podcast where good taste and bad taste explode. Woo! Yeah. My name is William Bibiani. I am a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. My name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a critic. I contribute to Slash Film. I write about Star Trek a lot. No, you? Um... The, the fun thing about uh, writing for Slash Film and Star Trek, there's new Star Trek right now. Yes, there is. Uh, as we record this, we're in the middle of uh, season three of Star Trek Picard. Mm. And, of course, like every element of every episode needs to be examined. You get to write about oh, yeah, it. Yeah, every, every little yeah. detail, like what this character is up to or what's yeah. uh, you know what's going on about this particular setting mm. or the ship that they're on. You because can, it's, you can it's, get, it's Star Trek. It's Star Trek. There's, there's a lot of detail, yeah, yeah, a lot of detail to go into. And you know, as as a Trekkie, I, I can speak for Trekkies saying that we love that kind of crap. Uh, so uh, I'll write a lot of those in advance, and then a few more when the episode comes out. Mm-hmm. So, like, in, in one block, like, within an hour, six of my Star Trek articles will be published at the same time. <laughs> it's like, like, it looks like I'm doing nothing else. I, uh, I had, like, a whole bunch of Rocky articles get published all at once as well, because I also yeah. write for Slash Film, except I guess I write about Rocky. Um, but uh, in any case, that's relevant. Because uh, this time on Critically Acclaimed, we're going to be reviewing a bunch of new movies, and we are going to be reviewing Creed Three, the ninth official film in the Rocky franchise. Ten if you count the very different director's cut of Rocky IV. Uh, we also have the, the semi-new release Cocaine Bear, and the films We Have a Ghost, Spoonful of Sugar, The Quiet Girl, and this movie is actually a couple of years old, but a lot of people are going to be seeing it for the very first time because they didn't have Quibi. Because <laughs> nobody had Quibi. We'll be reviewing the Kevin Hart and John Travolta action comedy, Die Hard. Which is going to get a sequel pretty soon. Oh my god. Is it called uh, Die Harder? That I don't know. I, yeah. I think it's just called Die Hard too. Lame. Uh, but yeah. yeah. Uh, do you want to start with Quibi? No. No, all right. <laughs> we'll start with okay. Creed. We'll start I, with Creed. I'm actually very excited to talk about uh, Creed 3 because I love the Rocky movies. I don't even like uh, sports. I love the Rocky movies. The, the Rocky movies are one of those things that um, I think everybody kind of low-key loves the Rocky movies. Even the yeah. bad ones. Uh, I don't even just, know if there are any bad ones. Rocky 4 is a bad movie. Rocky 4 is... <laughs> okay. I'm going to say this and, right and now. Rocky 5 is not great. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop you right there. I'm going to say quick thing about this because... Uh, the conventional wisdom uh-huh. is that Rocky Five is the only bad Rocky movie, and there is a mm. definite 
Oh, cadre no. Rocky fans. Four is so much worse than hang, Rocky Five. Hang on. There is a definite cadre of which Whitney is clearly a part. Uh-huh. <laughs> that argues that Rocky Four also stinks. However, a lot of people genuinely love Rocky Four for all of its uh, 1980s hyperbolic Cold War yeah. ultra montage robot butler bullshit. Mm. And I can't deny that there's an appeal to that. I think it's an entertaining movie to watch in its incredible <laughs> it's, silliness. It feels like a time capsule now. Like, all of the weird shit that we were into, like, in the middle of the Reagan era. Yeah. Like, that's all concentrated in Rocky IV. Rocky IV was the one where Rocky uh, had to fight, like, a superhuman yeah. Russian boxer played by Dolph Lundgren. Uh, it for America, basically. Um, did you see... Ivan Drago is the character's name. Did you see the director's cut? No, or it's, it was a lot shorter, and they cut out the robot. It's not that yeah. much shorter. They did cut out the robot. They they, and they changed cut the out... ending, right? No, the ending's basically the same. Oh, okay. Um, it's it's basically a lot of they trimmed down the montages. There's still a lot, but they trimmed down the montages, and they trimmed down a lot of that '80s excess, mm-hmm. and it feels a lot more like a character piece. But ironically, it feels like a movie about Apollo Creed more than anything else, because Apollo Creed is the one character who dies. Fighting Ivan Drago. Yeah. Uh, and that eventually sets up the Creed movies, which we're about well, to the, talk about. The, but the, it pays off in Creed 2. It really pays uh, off well in Creed 2, actually. Uh, the Creed movies are about uh, Adonis Creed, Apollo mm-hmm. Creed's uh, long-lost son. Yeah. Who he didn't, he didn't raise. He had an affair and uh, yeah. fathered a child and never raised him. Uh, and in uh, Creed 2, that mm-hmm. character, Adonis Creed, ends up fighting Ivan Drago's son, Victor Drago. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Creed and Victor 2... Drago shows up in Creed 3, so yeah. they, they all it's come all, back. It's all, it's all coming yeah. back. I gotta say this. Creed 2, which I didn't see when it was in theaters, I didn't originally review it on the show, mm-hmm. is great. It is a really solid sequel. I love the way that it retcons Rocky Four, so that Dolph Lundgren actually has a character now. Like, it's actually <laughs> he's not just solid. a... He's, he's pretty much a robot in Rocky Yeah, Four. like, he really... I, I, the director's cut plays him up, like, a little bit more at the end, like he's human, but mm-hmm. basically he's a robot. Um, the director's cut of Rocky IV is better. Is it great? No. Uh, is it good? Yeah. Mm. Is Rocky V good? Yes, but with a but. <laughs> I, and and I admit, I'm no fan of Rocky II. Really? Uh, I, I love I, Rocky II. I love Rocky. Rocky II is like, hey, let's tell the same story, but have him win at the end. No. It feels really cheap. No, that uh, I, 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 I feel too. like they're, they kind of started losing the handle on the character no, at that I, point. I love Rocky too. And, and they, get, they get increasingly sort of bigger and more ridiculous for, because the character gets more famous. For a bit they do. Yeah. There's the original Rocky where he's down on his luck. He's a mm-hmm. lone shark. He's like, just, his life is going nowhere. And he just gets... A heavyweight title shot literally handed to him out of sheer chance. Mm. He happens to have a fun nickname. That's literally the only reason he gets it. Um, and he makes the most of it. And that's kind of inspirational and awesome. Like when the chips were down and you actually had the one shot you needed in order to make something of your life, could you do it? He does. He loses, but he proves himself to the world. Yeah. And he becomes. Uh, and we see in Rocky Two that that led to fame, that led to some money, but... Not much. And mm-hmm. he's really bad at being famous. He's not good at commercial endorsements and things. He kind of throws his life away. And, like, basically, yeah, you had your 15 minutes. Go back to your life. And I actually kind of like that so much of Rocky 2 feels like falling action from Rocky 1. Where it's That's basically, so. uh, it's like, hey, here's the biggest story of your life. They always say that in screenwriting school. Like, mm. w- if this story you're telling isn't the biggest story in your character's life, why aren't you telling that? Yeah. And Rocky Two is kind of a response to that because, like, what happens after the biggest story in your life? 
is also interesting if you have good characters, and I kind of like that. Yeah. Um, Rocky as a character is uh, just sort of a cultural touchstone. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I hate the word iconic because it's kind of meaningless. Um, I think if it but, applies to any character, Rocky would yeah. be one of them. I, I know uh, there are outlets I've written for that have banned the word. You can't describe something as iconic. People, yeah. It's like the iconic Darth Vader. Why do you put the word in there? People yeah. know who to, if he's iconic, you people don't know. Yeah, yeah, that's true, yeah. Um, uh, but I, I, I like that Stallone, who's mm. a, a pretty good writer. He can be, yeah. Can be a good actor. Yeah, when he's got the right role, when his um, role is tailored to his strengths. But he's also made some like horrendous crap yeah. in his career, uh, and yeah. and not just like w- one-offs. Like he's been writing that Rambo shit for way oh, too God. long. Now the Rambo movies, are, the first the, Rambo the, is the, amazing. First, first Blood is great. The sequels are all trash. Like three is trash uh, in kind of a fun way, but uh, it's also totally trash. Like yeah, they're just yeah. junky, and they completely betray the original point of Rambo. With Rocky, I will say this: although Rocky changed. And I think Rocky's trajectory kind of mirrored Stallone's in a way where mm. Stallone started out as a nobody. He had yeah. been had little bit parts in movies. He wrote a screenplay for himself. Hollywood literally threw money at him saying, hey, we want to buy this script for a ton of money, but we want like Ryan O'Neill to star in it. He was one of the people that they wanted. And Stallone was like, I'm not selling it to anybody unless I can star. Yeah. And it was a great deal. He made it, he made it work. He got a lot less money for it, but it shot him up into stardom. Rocky 2 came along because basically after Rocky, what then, Sly? Mm-hmm. And it took him some while, a while to figure out, like, there's this weird gap right after Rocky where Stallone's career is like he's making movies like Fist. No one remembers Fist. <laughs> like <laughs> I haven't seen Fist, but yeah. I remember Fist. Like, there's this late 70s period where people knew who Stallone was, but he hadn't, like, solidified his career yet. And Rocky 2 was about that. And then... In like the early '80s, he was a huge star. Well, Rocky Three is about teaching him humility again. Rocky Four is about how now that I've got all this stardom, I guess I should say something. And so, like his Rambo movies started to be more pro Cold War bullshit, and so did Rocky. And I feel like Rocky Five, which is about Rocky losing all of his money mm. uh, after a lot of fights, and you got to remember, almost every single Rocky movie except the first one is about how. He's been fighting so much, it he could seriously be injured doing it. Yeah. Well, like, the key, they always tell him, you should retire. You're getting too old for this, and you have serious, like, physical damage. Yeah. There's um, um, a really awful conceit of Rocky V that I don't like, mm-hmm. where they're not just concerned about his health, mm-hmm. but... Over the course of the first four movies, yeah. Rocky became a lot more mature and a lot more savvy and yeah. and smarter about yeah. sort of his life. And at the beginning of Rocky Five, they said he got hit in the head and essentially like hit a reset button in his brain. Well, no, he was brain damaged. and and made him the exact same character he was in the first one. And it felt like a really cheap writer's trick. Uh, it feels I, like I'm not I'm not the biggest fan of Rocky Five. I, I feel like uh, the problem with there's two problems with that. Um, one is I feel like they they jumped in that like whole hog for like. The first third of the movie. Yeah. And then afterwards, Stallone clearly pulled back on that and he's more the old Rocky again. Okay. I think it was just basically he got his his um, his bell rung by Yvonne yeah. Drago and there was that. But Maybe. um and also the whole thing about oh he lost his money and he can't fight anymore. Oh man, he's still super famous. Oh. <laughs> Do an endorsement deal. Like it was 
star in a movie. Oh, <laughs> like, people, was, was, totally paid to see was Talia Shire in five or did yeah. she? Okay. And, but that was she, the last one she was in. Yeah. Uh, Talia Shire yeah. Uh, was not in six, uh, yeah. which came out many years later. It, yeah. it was just she, called Rocky Balboa. She could have um, been, but Stallone apparently wrote her out because it gave Rocky more motivation. For yeah, the record, yeah. I like five as some, as some, there's some decent character work in there with like the mm-hmm. whole family. And I think the overall message of the movie is pretty good. It, it holds up better. Yeah. And I think one of the problems, I think people really hated Sage Stallone in that one. The, 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 a, la, the late stage. He's, Sage he's Stallone a child the, actor. He's not amazing in it. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. I'm not going to, I'm not going to be too harsh about that. I think for me, near as I can tell, I think the real problem with Rocky five, a lot of people had was that was the ending. Yeah. And it was a little underwhelming as an ending. I suppose so. But it sets up Rocky Balboa mm-hmm. where nearly 20 years later, Rocky is, you know, he's doing okay. His his wife died. He's very mm-hmm. sad. He's alienated from his son, which was set up in Rocky Five. He's running a restaurant and he's just kind of, you know, going on his celebrity a little bit. He'll like walk up to people's mm-hmm. tables and share stories about fighting I, Apollo Creed. I did like that. Um, there's this really horrible uh, Leroy Neiman painting uh, yeah. that appeared on screen at the end of Rocky Three, mm. and uh, Leroy Neiman was like widely like i remember hearing leroy neiman jokes before i knew who he was as a painter yeah um there was uh, a joke in top secrets like it um a, a character is being interrogated by the nazis and um the nazis say he won't talk shall i bring out the leroy neiman paintings <laughs> and and the other nazi says no we cannot afford to violate the geneva convention um uh, so yeah there's that awful painting and they put it in the restaurant in the okay. rocky movies and it's in creed as well it goes as far as creed yeah so uh, so so, uh, yeah. so he decides he wants to box again, mm. uh, but just wants he doesn't want to go for the gold or anything like that. He just wants something to do, mm. and by this weird publicity stunt thing, the heavyweight champ wants to fight him in like an exhibition match yeah. because he can't put butts in seats anymore. And there was like this debate over whether Rocky would have beaten this guy when Rocky was in his prime, and will he go the distance again? And it's very good. Rocky Balboa was Bobo's, very good. Yeah, really good. And Stallone wrote most of these. Um, or, the majority, yeah. Or at least yeah. co-wrote. Yeah, like he, all, except until this new one, I think. Or at least, um, no, uh, I don't think he, he wrote... He, 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 he didn't did Creed. not write Creed. He yeah. co-wrote Creed 2. Yeah, okay. But he didn't have anything to do with Creed 3. Um, another... So Creed was a legacy sequel to a legacy sequel, which I think is funny, because it was like another like 10 years or so. Uh, Creed is awesome. I, I rewatched Creed recently, yeah. and... It, it it was better than I remember. It's it's, really it's a really good. solid movie. It's very straightforward. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about Apollo Creed's son, played by Michael B. Jordan. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a, uh, he's going by um, Donnie John Johnson, I think. He's going, um, but he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to capitalize on his father's name. He wants to make it on his own yeah, for a while. So, it's, so he's going off of a pseudonym for a bit. Yeah, and uh, he ends up seeking. He needs to be trained, mm-hmm. and so he seeks out Rocky. Stallone yeah. is in it, and. Um, and they repeat a lot of the beats from Rocky, but it's all updated. It's all mm-hmm. told in a new kind of a style. It was yeah. uh, uh, directed by um, Ryan Coogler. Who's one uh, of the better directors working today. Who's really good. And, and um, yeah, uh, and yeah, it, it just has so, so much heart and so much personality and so much local color. It actually, I think it's even more Philadelphia than some of the <laughs> earlier uh, Rocky movies. They actually get a Philly cheesesteak and create. Nice. Uh, I remember objecting to the scene where uh, Tessa Thompson mm-hmm. plays uh, his, his, a musician who falls in love with the yeah, boss. Uh, you know, they, they, they fall in love and, yeah, and, and they they have a child in Creed yeah. three. Um, she takes it because he's from L.A. Yeah, she takes him to get his very first Philly cheesesteak, and they put down these big 
nice looking Philly, clearly like a local restaurant mm-hmm. thing, covered in foil and full of grease, and it's one of the best things you've ever had. Uh-huh. And uh, Tessa Thompson had to take a bite of that uh-huh. on camera, and she leans down and she takes like a little, like a little tiny nibble out of the cheese stick. It's uh-huh. like, no, you want to ram that thing into your face. Uh-huh. Uh, I remember being very incensed that she didn't take a huge bite of Philly cheese. That's a practical thing because uh, you got to remember when you shoot a scene. Well, at a she movie, probably had to do it forty times. Yeah, you have, yeah. To, you have to do that exact motion at least forty times. Mm. And do you really want, while you're under hot lights, to eat like? Eight Philly cheesesteak sandwiches. Well, you don't. You have spit buckets. You take a bite and then you spit it out. Yeah, but, but do you it's really still want unpleasant. It. It's unpleasant. So I, 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 I get it, know. but I'm I, I'm sympathetic. I'm with you because you I, totally tear into that thing. A, a teacher of mine from high school was in a Burger King commercial. Oh. And commercials even more than feature films, they do take after take because that yeah. has to look just perfect and exactly. sell the burger just right. You'll, you'll, you have to, limited uh, real estate, so you can't waste a shot. You so know? yeah, it's yeah look and, just perfect. And you had to take like a hundred bites of a Burger yeah. King burger. It's like on, on take twenty, you're sick of it already, <laughs> and, but you have to keep on doing it. Uh, uh, but I I love Creed. Yeah, uh, Creed Creed passes. I think one of the ultimate sequel tests for me, uh-huh. which is if that was the first movie. It still would have been a hit franchise. Yeah, yeah you can yeah. watch that movie on its own, and it is still fantastic. And yeah, Creed Two is great. Creed Two is an excellent movie. It follows up the characters' journeys very, very nicely. It uh, Adonis Creed continues to grow. Um, it handles the legacy of Rocky Four better than I thought it would because I don't think Rocky Four was very easy to take seriously yeah, until well, Creed Two came out. Well, and it made sense because uh, his dad was yeah. killed by a boxer. So what yeah. happens when you have to box the child of that that boxer who killed your dad? And, and a, honestly, lot of, a lot of bad blood. Every Creed movie, every Rocky movie as well, ends in a fight. Yeah. Um, and you can tell over time that they're like really trying to make sure that the fights feel different. Uh-huh. So it's not the same fight over and over again because it's still just two people in a square fighting. You know, you want mm. you want to come up with a new dramatically satisfying but not like gimmicky uh, ways to conclude that. And I love the ending of Creed 2. I think Creed 2 is might be my favorite uh, after the original like boxing ending in this uh, series because it's not so much about Adonis. Adonis has already overcome his demons. Mm. the end of the fight has everything to do with Dolph Lundgren's character development. Yeah. And that's something I really love about this movie. It kind of, is, kind of and changes this, focus a lot. This whole series, really, some more than others, but all the characters in these movies are fleshed out, mm. even if they're the quote-unquote bad guys. Even characters who don't get as much screen time, like Clubber Lang in Rocky Three, played by Mr. T, if you watch the movie... He's a fully realized person. And here's the thing I love about Clubber Lang. He's right about everything. He's a good boxer. He deserves the title shot. Mm. And all of his critiques about Rocky Balboa are apt. He's not a, a mindless, you know, angry cartoon character. And that continues through the Creed movies. All the characters, even if they're the quote unquote bad guys, mm. are interesting people. Yeah, and I love and, that, and, and, and that you, continues uh, to Creed three, I think. Yeah, and um, the uh, the the bad guy, the the antagonist character this time yeah. is uh, Jonathan Majors. Yeah, and Jonathan Majors and Michael B. Jordan have said they want to be like uh, Pacino and Stallone. They just mm. want to be like this acting duo powerhouse, and I support this. Oh my god! You know what? If uh, there's a, <laughs> if there's a Pacino and Stallone of this like generation, and mm. it can be those two, I'm like, 
Yes. Yeah. yeah um, that's actually great. I love that comparison. Yeah. Uh, Creed three. Uh, Michael B. Jordan directs. This is his first film as a director. Um, and he's good. And he's good. And in fact, uh, he does something really, really interesting with the final fight. And we'll get mm. to that. Um, yeah, I have mixed uh, feelings about it, but it's interesting. That's it's for it's, sure. it's interesting. Well, he's trying to like add a kind of visual dynamism. Mm. You look at uh, some of the fights in uh, Kugler's first Creed movie mm-hmm. and like they, they're shot in these like big oneers, and they're really you know, dynamically yeah. edited. They're just crackerjack sport yeah, movie just thing. handsome spectacles and uh michael b jordan doesn't have quite that mastery of mm. like a fight action sequence as mm-hmm. a director but he is very good at sort of creating an atmosphere where it feels more meaningful yeah and um and i guess can i say what happens or is it a bit of well, let, let's build to it because right. i actually think this movie is actually really interesting the majority of the rocky and creed movies usually open with like the ending of the previous film mm-hmm. and here we're totally throwing that out and we're opening with a, a, a prologue where we meet young Adonis Creed and young mm. um, it's Damien something what's the name of Jonathan Damien Damien they call him Dame yeah. we, uh, Donnie and Dame are uh, they're teenagers they were foster kids together and Dame is the one who's on a fast track to boxing glory he's fighting on smaller circuits he's building his way up he's great at it and Donnie is helping him Donnie is not the one doing the boxing yet and then, while they're out, having a great day, want to fight, everything's awesome, something happens, there's an explosion of violence, and then we cut to the present. Adonis Creed has is the heavyweight champion of the world, he wins his latest fight, he retires. And then a couple of years later, he's still doing great. He's running his own gym, he's managing the new heavyweight boxing champion of the world, uh, his wife Tessa Thompson... She has progressive hearing loss and she doesn't perform anymore and she's kind of bitter about that, but she's a successful producer Mm -hmm. and she's doing well. They have a wonderful young uh, daughter who is deaf and is totally awesome. And then Jonathan Majors returns after spending 18 years in prison. Yeah. And Donnie never wrote to him once. He just blocked out that part of his life. And Jonathan Majors at first is kind of cool about it. And it's almost like the start of a psychological thriller where, like, someone from the, your past comes into your life. Like that Joel Edgerton movie, The Gift. The Gift. You know? Excellent movie, by the way. Great I love, movie. I love The Gift. Great movie. Very creepy, dark ending, but, like, awesome. Um, but, yeah, someone comes in from you out of your life, something, uh, someone who represents and knows things about you that you are ashamed of, and they want something from you, and they feel entitled to it, and because of your guilt, because of your shame, you feel entitled you feel like you're obligated to give it to them. And what yeah. Jonathan Majors wants is a break. He wants, he's only got a few years left, he yeah. feels, to be a real boxer before his he'll be too old. Yeah. And he wants Donnie to give him a shot. And very specifically, eventually realize, he wants him to give him a rocky shot. Yeah. Pull him out of obscurity, give him a title shot, all of a sudden, in the middle of nowhere. And events yeah. transpire that allow this to happen. Yeah, um... Yeah, there's there's going to be a big title shot between two characters that we've seen in previous movies, mm-hmm. um, uh, and s- something happens where that fight can't happen. So yeah. somebody gets attacked, and uh, so yeah, all, all of a sudden the the window is open. Yeah. What I like about Creed three, mm-hmm. and what I like about Michael B. Jordan's directing style, mm-hmm. is that he is he communicates a lot through very casual conversations. Mm-hmm. They are on the page. Just exposition yeah. in a lot of cases, but they don't feel like but it. The, yeah, yeah. He he is able to uh, wring a kind of naturalness out of his actors 
And yeah. you can tell that he's he was an actor first prior yeah. to being a director because he's really focusing on the characters and the performances than he is on sort of like fancy camera work. Mm-hmm. But it's a really good looking movie too. Oh, I, yeah. I like how absolutely stark and dark so much of this movie is and then whenever there's spectacle like when like an actual big fight is about to begin all of a sudden it is pumped full of color mm. like distracting amounts of color like it's just this is showmanship at this yeah, point man. this is larger than life i love the way that uh uh michael b jordan and the cinematographer uh they visually convey not just fighting but fight strategy Like, in the first fight Adonis has at the beginning of the movie where he's defending his title, you see him, like, not just fighting, but looking. And you see the opportunities that he has to capitalize on his opponent's weaknesses as he does. And it feels like you're in the ring with him and in his head, which is great. When Dame has his big fight, and he has his own strategy, and it's fucked up... Mm -hmm. You also see it. You don't have to have it explained to you. You mm. get it. Yeah, there, uh, the first fight, uh, there's a, a shot, like a couple shots where he's he's in, in the boxing ring yeah. with um, with uh, Victor Drago. Uh, oh, no, 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 it's not it's, Victor Drago. It's, it's the guy from the first movie. From the first movie, yeah. yeah. The, the, um, the real-life British boxer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's yeah, holding um, back. Uh, I like that they're all back. I like that yeah, they're man. all they're all just in the same. Like they're not going to retire just because they lost <laughs> right. the heavyweight title shot, but they'll be back. So, so they're boxing, and there's yeah some really wonderful shots of uh, of uh, Creed's point of view. Yeah, where he kind of sees an opening, and he has to seize it a couple times before taking it. Yeah, it, like where he can hit the guy during yeah. the boxing match. Really nicely done. Um, uh, boxing is more exciting on film than it is to watch in real life. Arguably. Uh, I've I've tried watching boxing matches mm-hmm. and it's less exciting for me when I'm actually watching guys just beating the stuffing out of each other. Mm-hmm. When it's like choreographed and filmed, it, it feels a little bit more organic and I can follow what's going on. Well, I also feel like, because I'm not a big fan of sports. I can watch sports. Mm. I can enjoy sports, but I don't seek out sports. And one of the reasons is I have nothing invested in it. Hmm. I know that if you read the sports pages and know all about the various sports stars, you probably will be because you know where they come yeah. from, you know what's on the line, etc. But well, I some, don't. Some games are just plenty visceral right up front. Like, That's watch, also true. Watch a basketball game, you yeah. get swept up immediately. You can just but, pick, a, pick a side, but yeah. I don't necessarily have anything invested yeah. in it other than this is visceral. Yeah. In a sports movie, I know exactly what's on the line for <laughs> I know why right. it's important it's that they explained. win, why they want to win. And th- That's why they have those uh, those yeah. uh, athlete profiles yeah. every every Olympics. Exactly. And they do that before a lot of big sporting events as well. You know, you watch the Super Bowl and they'll have like the pre-show and they'll tell you about this quarterback came from here and here's an interview with his mom and that kind of thing. And I get it. I totally do. That's you're building up our emotional connection with the event so that we'll be more excited to watch it. Movies tend to do that a little bit more cleanly, so I tend to get more invested in sports movies than I do in actual sports. The cinematographer is named Kramer Morgenthau, uh, who did, like, some of the Marvel films. Yeah. uh, Thor, The Dark World, and is going to do another Captain America. Terminator Genesis, like, slick-looking studio productions. Yeah, but this is actually, I think, a very interesting-looking movie. And, um, you know, it all has to culminate, of course, with Adonis Creed getting in the ring with his old friend. And uh, and that... All the bad blood comes out. And, yes, the the climax is Mm. coming to terms with your your past by literally beating it in the face. Well, what I actually love is it's not just coming to terms with the past. It's not like, you came from out of my past and I must destroy you. It's actually ultimately about how 
the incident that caused Dame to get put in jail and mm. basically caused Donna Street to basically repress all of that was something very tied into abuse that they suffered while they were in the foster system. Yeah, so it, this but is that, a, that's uh, the, no. big, the big element of his past is well, that uh, he he was horrendously abused. And we saw this in the first Creed, yeah. how he was in like juvenile hall, essentially, yeah. uh, when his, mo- his mother, uh, mm. or n- not his biological mother, no, Creed's wife. Creed's wife, yeah, Felicia so Rashad. Uh, He's back in this one as yeah, well. Yeah, Felicia Rashad picks him up and says, I, I, mm. you're going to live with me now. Right, but I think n- by making it specifically about the trauma and how he doesn't want to talk about it, mm. we're dealing with the guy who has never processed what he's been through emotionally. And they say in the movie, you processed it in the ring. Mm. That's how you dealt with your inner demons, but you don't have that anymore. And it's you see it getting in the way of his marriage, his lack of communication, his yeah. inability to fully confront what happened to him. And I like that here's a story... These Rocky movies are often, you know, I, I don't know if it, I think this is a bit reductive, but they're often considered stories of masculinity. Mm. And I think having a story about a, a, our hero have some frail masculinity, you know, yeah. like the stuff that actually like undermines your confidence. And, you know, I like a lot of people, I have childhood trauma that I'm still mm. dealing with today. And there aren't enough movies where people just express that they have that. Yeah. It's often something that is either a huge major plot point, it's a big revelation, or it's completely ignored or assumed it doesn't exist. And here, after all he's been through, Rocky, sorry, Creed still hasn't dealt with all that. Yeah. And this represents that. And I actually think in the end, because Dane went through it as well, even though in many respects he's the most villainous character we've had in this series since Drago, I think it humanizes him as well and the movie has more sympathy for him than one might expect. Yeah. But getting to that final fight, again, they want to make it special, and Michael B. Jordan, inspired, and he said this, specifically by anime, because he's a huge anime (laughs) fan, decided to film the final sequence, or at least part of it, so that they're fighting in the ring, it's all very cool, very exciting, and then they're fighting in their heads. Yeah, like metaphorical things begin yeah. appearing in, in the ring. And yeah. The, the, the atmosphere in the, the arena changes and yeah. uh, it, it all becomes kind of abstract. But yeah. but it's still a boxing match. Yeah. They're, still, you know, they're still sweaty and throwing punches. Yeah. I wish that worked as well as it probably should. I found mm. it a little jarring and frankly I found sometimes where they like all of a sudden like a new set piece suddenly showed up in the ring mm. occasionally to be accidentally comical. I was a, a little, little like, bit, yeah. what? Like a little, I thought it was a little, it could have been handled maybe with a bit more finesse. I, I, I suppose so. But you seem like you really liked it. I did. I, I, I appreciated yeah. that he's, there's only so many ways you can film boxers, right? Yeah. And this is the ninth film in the series, so we've kind of seen a lot of those angles before. Yeah. I know in uh, Rock, Rocky was one of the earlier films to use um, a, a steady cam, mm. and the idea that uh, the camera person could just sort of like walk around in the ring with the boxers and yeah. sort of film them and there's like big swooping takes. That was really novel at the, in 1976. Yeah, if you look at like older boxing movies like, mm. uh, I don't know, The Harder They Fall or something like that, they weren't filmed that good. No, well, because <laughs> like, the, just, the camera's always filmed. like outside yeah. the ring. Oh, that's fine. Yeah. It's just not as interesting, mm. is it? It's not as dynamic. It doesn't feel like you are in that story it feels mm. like you're outside in the audience or yeah, but, uh, at least further out than that. But that was 1976 and we're used to that look now. Now we have you know, drones and little teeny tiny cameras that people mm. can just sort of carry around and shoot and shoot. So uh, Michael B. Jordan is clearly trying to find a way to make a boxing look more interesting. And I think mm. by making it metaphorical through portions of it, mm. 
uh, it, it makes it a more interesting to look at. I agree. Um, is it just like pure boxing? No. Is it a little corny? Yeah, but these are the Rocky movies. They're all a little corny. <laughs> I know. I'm not. I, it doesn't hurt the movie for me. It was just one thing even, that took me out a little bit. I, I, I feel like, like the Creed movies are a little bit more mannered than the Rocky movies. The Rocky movies could mean, be a little bit more sensational, especially like something like Rocky Four. They were a little bit overblown. The first one was really down to earth, mm-hmm. and they got sort of increasingly fantastical as you went on until the point where they didn't even feel like it was real anymore. Three and four. Three is very Hollywood. I think it's very yeah, it's, well made, but it's very Hollywood. That's the one with Mr. T yeah. and, and Hulk Hogan is in it. And, the original uh, theatrical cut of four in particular, but even the director's cut, that's a big silly movie. Yeah. <laughs> that's a very silly film. So I, I, I feel like um, they were trying to sort of get back down to the ground with yeah. the Creed movies. And that first Creed is great. And the second Creed is pretty good, too. And, and this third one is pretty good as well. Um, I, I do love that the Rocky movies have sort of tapped into the same thing that soap operas tap into. Mm. And that is, we can't just tell a story. We're telling these stories in the long term. Yeah. Uh, we, we really have to sort of think, where are these characters going to be in 20 years? Yeah. And where is Rocky? Rocky's not in uh, Creed 3. They no, mention him He's like mentioned twice. a few times, but yeah, he's not. And I, honestly, I feel like there's a few places in the story where he would have organically fit. And I feel like I, I it's a, so, I feel like yeah. it's because he's because you remember at the end of Creed two he went to go, I, I assumed visit his son. Hmm. I guess maybe they he moved over there to be with him. Might have been nice to just sort of wrap his, that up a little bit. His son, or his son and Rocky Balboa is played by Milo Ventimiglia. And, yeah, and, um, uh, he came back at the end for Creed two. If memory serves, did he? I think he did just Milo Ventimiglia. Did, did he just for a minute? Yeah, I could be wrong. Um, but, but, I might, I might I rewatched be, I might Creed, be projecting but I did not him. rewatch Creed too. Um, I might be projecting him into yeah, it. But, remember. but he, you know, he 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 recon he uh, what is it? Reunited with his son, and I guess that was supposed to be sort of the end of Rocky. Hmm. I kind of feel like, given some of the stuff that Adonis Creed go through goes through in this movie, and how he like loses his way, a phone call with Rocky wouldn't have been out of place. <laughs> yeah. you know, even just a cameo or something like that. And I understand that this has unfortunately been taken away from Sylvester Stallone. He never had a piece of it anyway. It was a studio film. But they always knew that Stallone was the one who kept this thing going. Uh-huh. And so he always had a part in it. You know, Creed rely if, if Stallone wasn't willing to do Creed, we wouldn't have had Creed. Mm-hmm. Stallone had- helped write Creed too. And now I feel I guess they feel like they can do it on their own. And but here's the thing. Yeah. They can. <laughs> This the, is a the only, really uh, good the, Rocky movie. This the is a only really good uh, movie. the only credit Stallone gets this time around is Creative based on character. characters. Yeah, yeah um. but this is a good movie. Like it, it actually sustains, and there are definitely characters in this movie uh, that I feel I would like to see in the future. Like there's a bit where we find out that Adonis's daughter is Amara or something. Uh, Amara, yeah. yeah. Um, she she's interested in fighting. She wants to like mm. learn fighting from a monster. And I'm like. Uh, you give this thing fifteen years, and you yeah, want to well, make it about gonna, her. We're gonna have a we're gonna have Amara and Amara two and Amara three. I, I want to see gonna, it. Yeah, that sounds great. awesome. Like that sounds really really great. They've even talked about spinoffs, and I'm like, I could see Jonathan Majors having a spinoff where he makes another title run and goes up against Drago or something. Like why not? <laughs> I guess he did go up against Drago, but you know, someone you could do that. All well, these characters are interesting. The Rocky I don't want to do it, but yeah. it could work. The Rocky movies follow the same pattern as uh, Andy Sedaris uh, 
the Andy Sedaris movies. Oh my god. Uh, the Andy Sedaris movies, um, the um, the Lethal Ladies uh-huh. series of movies. There's twelve of them. I've seen them all. Yes, you have. Uh, I'm very proud of that. Yes. Uh, Andy Sedaris uh, knew a lot of uh, like Playboy playmates and penthouse pets. And he said, "Hey, we're gonna get you in swimsuits, and you're gonna." be spies and you're gonna fly to hawaii we're gonna film this thing in hawaii mm-hmm. and you're just gonna hang and out it, and it was molokai it's like the oh god <laughs> like the ugliest island it, it is so they only shoot in like two different places on it but mm-hmm. like yeah you're gonna be in a spa you're gonna shoot people off camera there's gonna mm-hmm. be some some you know soft core fornication yeah, and sort of like a lot, drape a lot on of, top of someone a lot of naked their neck. showering that kind of yeah. stuff uh, uh, the, and and we're gonna make a whole like dozen film action movie franchise out of it with mm-hmm. titles like Hard Ticket to Hawaii and okay. Picasso Trigger. <laughs> Hard Ticket to Hawaii is one of the best B-movies ever made. I actually uh, 100% agree with that. But, you should um, see it if you haven't. If you watch all those movies, you'll notice that they'll introduce like a villain. Like Eric yeah. Estrada plays the villain in one of them. Yeah. And in the next one, he's back, but he's been sort of redeemed. Like now he's working for the Lethal Ladies. Yeah. That happens like six times in that series yeah. where a bad guy like sort of turns good. And yeah. they all become part of this family. And every time they meet a new villain, it's about eventually they're like they're they're exploded, but then somehow they survive and they're heroes in the next one. Yeah. I feel that way about Rocky. Yeah. The bad guys are just people. Yeah. And they eventually sort of come around. And as these movies go on, the family and the warmth and just the group of people that we're spending time with mm-hmm. just becomes larger and better as we go on. The- so I'm okay. Yeah. With continuing the series as indefinitely as they want. Yeah. Get get the children, get the children's children, whatever. Just oh. keep on going and keep on examining this as some sort of great American intergenerational epic. I, I honestly think this this is the way... There, there's like two different ways that I typically like a movie franchise to... Or series to, to progress. Uh, one is we have a formula and we're gonna do it. <laughs> that's Godzilla. That's Friday the 13th. That's the Fast and Furious movies. They have a thing that they consistently do. Nobody does it better. We're just going to keep doing it. We're not going to apologize. Occasionally we'll make it weird. Boom. I love it. Mm. But I think the better way to do it, if you can pull it off, is to have your extended series of motion pictures be based on character. So that our investment comes not in spectacle, which can be fleeting, which can be overshadowed by other spectacle. Our investment comes from whether or not we care about the characters. Creed 3, yeah, it, it didn't do $100 million, $200 million numbers, but it opened to like $50 million on a three-day weekend in March. Yeah, people huge, care. Huge head. Yeah. People care about these characters. They care about the characters, and they want to see what will happen with them next. There aren't enough movies like that. There definitely aren't enough series like that. I can think of like, I can think of like what? before sunrise like there aren't enough movies that like series that bank on i'm very invested in the characters i care deeply about them and rocky has a good formula as well we get knocked back down and we come back up again every single uh, time that's life i feel like uh, appropriate when it comes to sort of like the hollywood sequel machine and the rocky movies were mocked wildly for how how long the series was going on especially by the time they hit three and four it was considered a bit of a joke four four and five was considered way too long for a film series in the 1980s if Um, you're not james bond don't do it 
Yeah, like the, those those slasher movies, you know, are appreciated by you know horror fans and slasher audiences, hated by critics and oh, yeah. uh, cheap, cheap movies, and and a lot of them suck. If we're if we're honest with ourselves, they're fun, but they suck. Yeah. A lot of them, <laughs> they're fun, but they're Nightmare on Elm Street Five is a absolute it, fucking trash pile of a movie. It's it's great for a movie that has like no story whatsoever. I have seen that movie uh, three, maybe four times. I could not tell you what happens in it. Yeah, I have no idea. Like you, you can get like details. Out of it, but yeah, I can't I really remember. Tell you a say, remember that it. thing where a guy turns into a motorcycle or oh. something? Kinda. That's right. Yeah, yeah remember that? Says, that kinda happened. Maybe. And Freddy says, "Don't dream and drive." <laughs> <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> it's weird. The uh, the guys over at uh, Red Letter Media talked about uh, Freddy or uh, the Freddy movies recently, and they yeah. they said the ultimate nightmare is being in a writer's room. Yeah, like Freddy shows up. We're gonna brainstorm he flicks out like dry erase markers on his claw and goes over to the whiteboard that'd be funny we've got some studio notes anyway we have to move on but yeah you know what the series is still good Creed still, yeah. 3 is really good and I want to see good. Michael Jordan direct some more it's good yeah, uh, yeah. I, it, I would like to see him direct some more I'd like to like maybe I, I like when actors start to direct sure. and uh, especially when they display a, a good deal of talent mm-hmm. um and I'd be interested to see what like his mark is. What yeah. what is he outside of the Rocky movie or the mm-hmm. the Creed movies? Sure. Uh, like what what's the kind of idea he would like to do? That's sure. something I'm more interested in seeing I'm, now. Yeah, I want to see like is he because once he do a big movie, they'll want you to do some big franchise thing again. Mm-hmm. I want to see what does Michael B. Jordan want to do that is not that is original or at the very least mm-hmm. hasn't been done to death. Like if he wants to adapt a book or something, mm-hmm. fine. But like. I don't want to see him do X Men. I, I don't want to say see he's, him do Spider Man. He, he's already in the Marvel pot with everybody else, so they're they're just going to try to drag him in there again. I mean, look, you could do worse, but I'd rather say there was this talk about um, online about Jonathan Majors, and I think we might have even talked about this when we talked about Ant Man, where people were some people were kind of like depressed, like, oh god, he signed on to Marvel, he's so talented, we're going to have to watch him all these Marvel movies mm. for so long. And some people came back, reasonable argument. You know what? That is success for an actor well, to like yeah. be a major like lodestone in a major movie franchise. They're really doubling down on him. He's going to be in like three mm. or four movies. He's getting a good payday. Uh, the movies are finally diversifying. We should be happy about that. And yeah, we should. On the other hand, he's such a talented actor that I'd rather see him do more interesting stuff yeah, personally well, as a member of the audience. Uh, well, but when you see it, when you see Jonathan Majors in something like Ant Man. Mm-hmm. Where he he's trying, and yeah, he's, he's elevated. He's he's yeah. really trying, and yeah. he's not given a lot, but he's really trying. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, I I under, I know the way Hollywood works, and I know it's a one for you, one for me system in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. So if he wants to really star in some really interesting, yeah. soulful, independent film, it's entirely likely that a studio wouldn't let him do that. Like wouldn't mm-hmm. contract him to play in this little tiny movie that's not going to make money, unless he agrees to do one or two or three of the Marvels. Oh, I, so, I, so I acknowledge the reality yeah. of it. I acknowledge uh, the reality. I just feel like it's okay to say uh, I wish he was only doing interesting uh, stuff. I, it's okay to wish that. I remember when uh, Bruce Willis did uh, mm. Breakfast of Champions, yeah. which is a really terrible adaptation, by the way. It's not a good movie. But it was a passion Alan, project. Alan Rudolph did a film adaptation of Kurt Vonnegut's novel Breakfast of Champions, which is unfilmable and mm. still unfilmable even <laughs> after they filmed it. Um, but I remember uh, uh, one of my... Uh, Film school professors saying, oh, yeah, if you saw Breakfast Champions, 
it's because he did The Kid yeah. or like some other Disney project that yeah. we have that. Yeah, like, they, they he, said, he, we'll do he, it yeah. if you make this generic family movie. Yeah, we'll, we'll give you we'll, some funding from our studio, but yeah. you, you have to do a big one for us. Honestly, I, Bruce Willis is one of those guys, especially in like that time, mm. he could just point to The Sixth Sense and say, you're fucking welcome. Because <laughs> that, that movie was a Yeah, that yeah. was huge. Like, my God. Like, anyway. Um... But yeah, anyway, Creed Three rules. We got to move on. Mm. Uh, I didn't get to see this movie, and this is so up my alley, and I'm mad about it. Tell me about Cocaine Bear. Okay. Uh, speaking of, of actors who direct, uh, this is Elizabeth Banks. Yeah. And Elizabeth Banks is a kook, and I love her. Yeah. Uh, I, I when she first came up, they were mm-hmm. trying to sell Elizabeth Banks as like uh, a new ingenue in Hollywood, mm-hmm. and she's going to be in like big prestige projects. And no, she she's like a weirdo. Yeah. And she's way more comfortable directing stuff like Pitch Perfect 2 and Shirley's Angels. Mm-hmm. I feel like she's a little bit more in her element with something like Cocaine Bear. Yeah, I, um, I liked Pitch Perfect 2 for what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I like Pitch Perfect uh, more, I, more than I ought to, I, perhaps. There, there's but, uh, things in that movie that have aged really, really poorly, but what works, works really mm-hmm. well. Um, I wish I liked that Charlie's Angels movie more than I did. I feel like mm-hmm. it's good, except when there's action. I yeah, like the action yeah. is actually kind of dull in that movie, which is disappointing. But mm. I like the characters, I like the attitude, I like the overall vibe of it. I just yeah. think it sort of underwhelms as an action movie, yeah. which is trying um, to be. Uh, every once in a while, um, one of those films will come along, which is sort of pre-sold on its novelty value. Yeah, and uh, Snakes on a Plane is is maybe the more most obvious example in recent yeah. memory. Uh, Snakes on a Plane, silly title. Mm-hmm. Uh, exploitation premise mm-hmm. makes no sense one, whatsoever one big star and uh they they actually um i remember they shot the film and it mm-hmm. got a pg-13 rating and it started to get a lot of pre-hype prior to its release and they said we really need to turn this into a proper exploitation movie so they went back in and filmed more nudity and cussing and violence well they specifically added a line because people were joking about it because uh-huh. samuel l jackson was in this movie and he was a guy who swore a lot in movies uh at the time you know marvel really wasn't a thing yet um and so the joke was, he's going to jump into this movie and say, I have had it with these motherfucking snakes on this motherfucking plane. Mm. They didn't have that line in the movie. They reshot the movie to include that line. And you can tell because the lighting is very different <laughs> when he says that line. Really yeah. They just tacked it in there. It's a great line. Mm. I'm glad they added it. That movie is fun. It is inherently well, stupid. But it's, it's very, very fun. It's really stupid. It's fun. Uh, it's it's wispy. It's not yeah. substantially good yeah. exploitation filmmaking. Yeah. And, and I feel the same way about Cocaine Bear. Oh, okay. Uh, cocaine Bear is based on an actual uh, fact. Uh, a drug dealer was throwing cocaine off of a plane while escaping the law. Uh, the cocaine landed in Were the woods. Were there snakes on that plane? Sure. Yes. Uh the c- cocaine landed in the woods of, I think it was Virginia, and and a black bear found the cocaine, mm. uh, ate a lot of it, and died. Oh. Because it, it's a bummer. Because it, it ate a bunch of cocaine. Yeah, it's all a bummer, though. Yeah. Like. And um, they found and they found the bear, and they taxidermied the bear. And you can actually, like, uh, find stories of, like, the journey the bear's body went on after it was taxidermied. And now you can see it in, like, a roadside attraction. They put, okay. like, a hat on it. Um. What do they call it? They called him. They they named after some Koki, not Koki the bear. That's what they call him. Uh, sort of the nickname for the movie bear. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. Uh, Elizabeth Banks has referred to the bear as Koki. Nice. <laughs> uh, Koki Romano. It's set in 1985, and uh, yeah, the criminal is throwing cocaine off of a plane, 
lands in the woods. The bear finds it, but this time the bear becomes like a cocaine fiend, like eats a bunch of cocaine, gets super duper high, and all of a sudden develops this superpower where it can like sense more cocaine from miles away. And and like starts fiending for drugs okay, and like going so, on this rampage. So it's a metaphor. For, it's a metaphor for the escalation of addiction. Uh, more than anything, it's a criticism of the war on drugs. Okay, um, that's also fair. Yeah, I, I think that's as deep as we're going to get with cocaine. But, I think that's fine. Uh, there's a lot of human characters. Uh, let me look up some of the human actors. Um, uh, I know because there's some, there's some interesting. Because uh, Carrie Russell, Car- yeah, Carrie Russell plays the the mother of a young child who's mm-hmm. out in the woods. The two children like eat a bunch of cocaine because it's like, oh, it's cocaine, but they're we're eight, we don't know anything about it. Mm. How much do we take? I don't know. Eat a, a tablespoon. <laughs> like, oh god. Um, O'Shea Jackson Jr. is in it. Oh, nice. um, uh, um, what's his name? Alden Ehrenreich is in it. Oh, uh, I love Alden Ehrenreich. And, and, and those two play. Um, uh, two like low-level drug dealers who have to go retrieve the cocaine from the woods, and yeah. they're uh, working for Ray Liotta who, in his last film performance. Oh, that's a bummer. I mean, it's nice, but yeah. it's also a bummer. Yeah. Uh, also, Isaiah Whitlock Jr. is in this, and I love Isaiah Whitlock Jr. Oh yeah, he's, he's got awesome. a great. Uh, he's she. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's he's the she. Does he guy. say she? He does not. Ah, oh, it's a hero uh, loud. He's done it in multi. He did it on the wire. He's done it in every Spike Lee movie he's yeah, ever he, done. He plays an older cop, and there's a subplot there oh. where he's adopted a dog that he doesn't like. And um, oh, man. all of the human stuff is death. We don't care about Carrie Russell and her children. Yeah, we don't just, care about the drug dealers. They're just fodder. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we want to see bear mayhem. Well, is it a horror movie? It's a horror comedy. Like okay. there's there's a lot of gore in it. There's a lot of yeah. bear violence. But it occurs to me that there's like this could be a violent mm. cocaine bear movie. This could be more like a kangaroo jack kind of thing. Where yeah, there's it's, like a, it's, it's it's mostly whimsy. It's lilting more to the latter because uh, oh. Elizabeth Banks is is trying to go like kind of crazy with it. And yeah. with the exception of a few fun set pieces, there's a a, a scene where. The bear, now hopped up on cocaine, is able to outrun an ambulance. <laughs> and, like, rips it open from behind. Oh you know, it, it, like that, A scene like that is really fun. Yeah. A movie like this needs to be, like, 80 minutes of nonstop that. It just yeah. needs to be bear Man. insanity yeah. from beginning to end. You kind of want to see, like, the Roger Corman version of this from the late 70s. Yeah. Directed yeah. by Alan R. Cush or something. Right. You know? Like, get, uh, uh, what's his name? Fleischer. Yeah. Uh, Richard Fleischer could do it. Um Somebody who has like a good eye for just keeping the energy high, and yeah. I feel you can see this movie straining against its kind of low budget. All of the money went into the special effects on the bear because it's like a motion capture CG bear. Is it a convincing um, bear? It's convincing. Nice. Oh yeah, good detail on the bear. That's great. But uh, a lot of the camera setups are really kind of boring. The, the lighting is really flat, and all of the the human scenes are just. <sighs> You're just waiting for them to be over because you want to see the cocaine bear just tearing through someone or something. Did you ever see a movie, speaking of boxing movies, did you ever see a movie called Matilda? The the, the boxing movie? The boxing movie Matilda. Oh, no, no. I've I've only seen the Raul Dahl movie. Uh, Elliot Gould. Yeah, boxes a a kangaroo. No, he doesn't box a kangaroo. He manages a kangaroo. (laughs) <laughs> he's he's like he's right. like a con artist. He's trying to like make it big in like the promoting industry, and he runs into an Australian guy who has a kangaroo named Matilda, and Matilda is a boxing kangaroo, and he's building Matilda up to be like the heavyweight champion of the world, and super impress Robert Mitchum mm. at a particularly low point in his career. Um, the movie is absolutely atrocious, almost unwatchable. 
It's pretty amazing. It used to not be available at all. Then one day it popped up on Tubi. It might still be there. But uh, this was in the late 70s, maybe 1980. Hmm. Um, kangaroo costume technology <laughs> was not there yet, and it never doesn't look like a guy in a suit. And a part of me would like to see a Cocaine Bear movie where he is just a guy in a suit. Like we just don't pretend. Just like it whatever. Ni- it would have been nice, yeah, yeah. Just like the the ridiculousness of it. Like yeah, some, why not? Just sort of cavorting about in the bear costume. Like it feels like the kind of thing that like trauma could have done, and it would have been funny. Yeah, I, I think that's. I was going to mention trauma actually because mm. I think that's uh, where Elizabeth Banks is looking when she's mm. making an exploitation movie like right. this. Uh, she she has a, a good sense of humor and a good trashy sensibility. Uh, I, I much prefer her acting when she's playing characters like Rita Repulsa in oh, the she's so Power Rangers movie. movie. Then, uh, you know, when when she was sort of being sold as a prestige star, um, mm. she's really hilarious in Wet Hot American Summer. She's, oh she's God, a really she's funny, so funny person. And it's kind of a pity that she didn't have the temerity or maybe um, sort of the exploitation chops to delve into complete and utter mayhem. I think she wanted it... Wanted to be a little bit more of a like a real movie, like prove that she can turn mm. Cocaine Bear into like a feature film with characters yeah. and story arcs. It's tricky though, because you know it is a studio film. Yeah, it's, you, maybe, it might, Universal. Universal yeah. might have only wanted to go so far. Mm. Now it's hard to say who's exactly responsible for keeping it held back, but yeah. it is unfortunate. That's unfortunate that it yeah, was. But yeah, give it to Elizabeth Banks. Um, let her have the same budget, but yeah, let someone like Lloyd Kaufman produce, and it would have been. <laughs> I think it would have been a little like a lot wilder, and and I know I, I sense anyway that Elizabeth Banks is capable of that kind of wildness. Mm-hmm. And again, another actor I'd like to see do something from her heart and kind of go completely nuts with it because yeah. she probably has it in her. All right, uh, the next one we're going to be talking about is a new film on Netflix. It actually, came out last week, but we didn't have an episode last week. Uh, it is called We Have a Ghost, and it is a story about people mm. who have a ghost. Uh, it is uh, written and directed by Christopher Landon, and Christopher Landon mm. is did, on a uh, pretty good streak, did, actually. Uh, he did uh, Freaky, mm-hmm. uh, the uh, horror movie version of Freaky Friday, mm-hmm. and um, the Happy, Happy Death, Death Day, Day movies. movies. Yeah, which are very good movies, that, all that, of those. That first one is great. I, I, I even like the second one a lot, but he's really good. He, he's not infallible. He wrote, and I think he might have directed, but he wrote uh, Paranormal Activity Next of Kin. No, he didn't direct that one. Uh, mm. That movie sucks. Next, that was the like, sixth or seventh, and uh, yeah, yeah, that, it's not, that, that it's not, not a good film. Good. It's not a good film. He it's wrote the one, uh, it's the one that takes place in the Amish countryside, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah he wrote uh, some of the. He, he wrote a lot of the Paranormal Activity movies, uh, including some of the good ones like two and three. He also wrote the marked ones, which is just terrible. <laughs> Um, so he's, he's inconsistent, but he's been on a streak lately. It seems like he's gotten to make the kind of movies he wants to make. And the Happy Death Day movies and Freaky are high concept, exuberantly filmed, like really, really fun. Not like in a Whirligig, Sam Raimi movie kind of way, but clearly a confident touch with energy and control. And there's some really good character work in all of them. And... With We Have a Ghost, he's veering further away from horror comedy and more into Amblin territory, but it uh, never really uh... captures the Amblin vibe. It feels like it's a little bit like on the outside of Amblin, looking in, yeah, trying to it's... figure out what makes that formula work and not quite cracking it. Uh, it's it's sparkling and slick. It's mm-hmm. really a great looking movie. And, yeah. um, and 
it's really, really heavily inflected uh, with like Tim Burton's Beetlejuice. There's a lot. It, of that, that's yeah. kind of the vibe they're going for. Um, the plot. Uh, the plot is there's a ghost in a house. Mm-hmm. Um, Anthony Mackie mm-hmm. plays the uh, the father of this family. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has two teenage sons and a wife, and they uh, mm-hmm. are. He's one of those like get rich quick scheme guys yeah who's always trying to come up with a hustle of some kind and that's gotten him in a little uh, financial trouble and they've had to move a lot and they have to move around a lot so they finally moved into this big house which they can afford because it's haunted and the ghost in the house Mm. is played by david harbour uh david harbour is a ghost and he's trying to scare people out of the house but the younger like the younger son who's like 15 16 Mm. like he's not impressed and he just says hey What's yeah. up? <laughs> just and, uh, immediately just talks to him. And David Harbour looks like, da- like they, they give him sort of like this embarrassing comb over and he's wearing a bowling shirt. Yeah. Uh, his name is what, Walter, I think. Ernest. Ernest, that's it. Yeah, because the shirt um, says Ernest. They assume his name is Ernest. But uh, yeah. he can't speak. He can moan a little bit and mm-hmm. he can pass through solid matter. They give him that sort of glowy mm-hmm. ghost special effect. Mm-hmm. But he can't uh, talk. But he can, and he, yeah. And, he doesn't, and we find out very quickly that he doesn't remember... How he died, yeah. or uh, well, what his baggage is, what's leaving, what's keeping him on this mortal plane. I appreciate that they explained that there's like a psychological reason, not a magical one, mm-hmm. why ghosts can't remember their death, because that's uh, maybe the most traumatic thing you can experience is your yeah. own death. I can only imagine, and you yeah. blocked it out because yeah. it it was too terrible to bear. Yeah, and he's in he's in the attic, and uh, they have to. F- they're kind of excited in that early scenes of Poltergeist where they figure like the chairs can slide across yeah, the floor. Yeah, they're like, oh, we have ghosts. This it's is like, awesome. We, we, have a ghost. we, this we were is able great. to catch him on camera. Yeah, they film him. It, he's very real and yeah. they try to turn him into an internet sensation. And it works. And, and uh, are... very much like in uh, yeah. the um, Deo scene in um, mm. in Beetlejuice. Yeah. They try to like stage uh, like a reality show. They bring in cameras yeah. and stuff um, and bring well, in a psychic. And What's her name? Uh, Jennifer Coolidge. Jennifer plays Coolidge a plays, a, yeah. plays a TV psychic and she's used to all these things being faked. And he comes in and it's this scene feels like it was literally only inserted for the trailer because it doesn't connect to anything. Uh-huh. It's basically the only time he gets to do ghost stuff. Yeah. So like he's gonna like rip off his face yeah, and like float through the air and, and yeah, knock people over. But it's actually not that kind of a ghost movie. It's actually very casual and relaxed. And it's just this teenage kid meets a ghost. Hmm. The ghost has a problem. The kid is very empathetic and kind, and he wants to help this guy out. But because his dad is trying to get rich quick with this thing. Uh, they call a lot of attention onto themselves. The government wants to take the ghost to do experiments on them because that's oh, what they do. Well, and, and the government agent is played by uh, Tig Notaro. Yeah. So good cast in this. She's one. great. Yeah. Yeah, like really good cast in this thing. So it ends up uh, like a car, like a car chase road trip it's movie where they try to like the, uh, find the guy's past and everything and they have to like mm-hmm. there's like a car chase with a ghost and it's like the ghosts from the Matrix 2 they can kind of fly in and out of the cars yeah, yeah. they're clearly doing the Matrix 2 but it works it's fun um, uh, the movie mm-hmm. is 127 minutes it's way it's too long. way too long. This, either this you does need not to, have enough material to make need, it that far. You either need to cut out all of the stuff with the internet celebrity mm-hmm. and have it just be the road trip movie. Uh-huh. Because the road trip is, we have to figure out who we who he is, and they've found like yeah. some details about the house and who, who lived there and who might yeah. have died we there. You track down someone who might yeah. know who he really is, yeah. that kind of so, thing. Yeah. Uh, so they take the ghost on the road. Uh, the teenage son and... Uh, his, his neighbor. His, his neighbor and would-be love interest... Uh, mm. 
would be girlfriend. They all go on a road trip together. That's a fun movie. Just call it yeah. Ghost, Ghost on the Road. That's Ghost fine. Trip. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, you can either have the go- the Ghost Trip, uh-huh. or you can have the I want to make a ghost an internet celebrity, which mm-hmm. is a good forty five minutes of the movie. Yeah, like, it's a lot of it. Yeah, it, it, honestly, and, when it becomes a road trip movie. Mm-hmm. You, you're a little su- surprised because all of a sudden it feels like a new movie is starting. Yeah, they kind of start... Almost like we're doing like, like a, a sequel in the middle of the movie. Yeah, it's episode two. And uh, and it it starts to drag it really, really early on. It really does. Like, they're trying to get make it really slick and it's really high energy. It's clearly got a big budget. The mm-hmm. special effects are just fine. Yeah, they're good. It's a uh, good movie. And they're just not cutting anything out. They're just well, leaving it all in. And you're, you're, your patience wears out. Super quick. You don't really care about the conclusion of the story after yeah. a while. And when you get to the, the climax, like it feels like the third climax of the movie. Like, yeah. I, I think it, I figured it's, out, it's hard to be interested at that point. I was watching this movie and I'm trying to figure out every piece of this is something I like. Okay. Like individually, you just pluck it out. I like that scene. I like that character. I like that plot point. But together, it doesn't entirely work. And I was trying to figure out why. And I was thinking about how in many respects, it's a structure like an old Amblin movie. Hmm. And I think what the Amblin movies did, and those are not perfect movies by any stretch of the imagination, those could totally be improved on. But I think what they had was a focus on a central character, and this movie doesn't have that. It's hmm. trying to really amplify its ensemble. Dick Nataro isn't just the antagonist here. We actually see her repeatedly in the first act setting up her life and everything like mm-hmm. that. It's not just about the teenage son. The dad also really dominates the first half of this movie as kind of another protagonist. When we finally get to the road trip and it's just the kids on the road trip with the ghost, that's when you realize our protagonist and his character's name is Kevin mm-hmm. has nothing to learn. <laughs> He's got his story is fine. He and, doesn't. And, well, in fact, he, earlier, good. prior to like the road trip, mm-hmm. he has a, a talk with his dad mm-hmm. about their relationship. Yeah, and that's it. Like they wrap it up. They're Kinda, done. Like he, he has another conversation at the end where they get it right, but like still, it's the same problem that we've talked about with action movies a lot of the time, where they'll wrap up the character's journey and then they'll have the big action sequence. Like, now that I know myself better, I can save the day. And I'm like, no, because then the movie's over mm-hmm. and all we've got left is, like, empty spectacle. You combine those things. You want to have character happening in the midst of the action. And unfortunately, by distracting the audience with a bunch of sort of almost red herring protagonists... When we finally settle down and focus on one character, we realize just how little we know about him. Mm-hmm. How little he has to grow and change. And he's likable. I like him fine. The actor's really, really good. Uh, he's played by an actor named Jahi Winston. He's really good. I'd like to see more of him. But yeah, he doesn't have a journey. It's just whether or not you care about David Harbour. I do care about David Harbour. I got to the end of the movie, but like it's just it someone at some point needed to say we need a massively different new draft. Yeah. We need to shorten things, we need to focus because this is a bunch of good ideas that don't really come together as well as they should. Is it bad? Mm. No. But it's not great and it's no, pretty clear it's, as to why. Yeah. It, yeah. It, I I get the sense that um Netflix will save your 
place. Mm -hmm. uh, they didn't always do that. I, I remember in the early days of streaming, you had to start the movie over and then scan forward, and that was yeah. really, really obnoxious. But they, yeah. they finally put in the software to save your place. Mm -hmm. And I suspect a lot of people might be watching movies in shifts. Sure. And this feels like a movie that was designed for that. Yeah, you can watch 40 minutes of this movie... Turn it off, mm. come back tomorrow or after lunch or yeah, something like, like that. And you designed could, for yeah. sort of casual viewing. And, um, sure. There's something as, to be said for that, I guess. I, I suppose so. Um, it's a different if, way of watching a movie. If that's your intent, split it. Yeah. Just have credits halfway mm. through. Make it a two-parter. Yeah, have, have two movies. You can have a 40-minute film. That's fine. The problem is if you make a movie like that, where you're supposed to just sort of kind of come in and out mm -hmm. as you please... You can't replicate the experience. Like when we review a movie, when we talk mm -hmm. about the movie, we're talking about if you sit through it all in one go. Yeah. If you're not doing that, you know, in a movie theater, you would have to. You have no mm -hmm. other option. But at home, and especially if you're encouraged to, like on streaming, you can watch it piece by piece. You're not probably watching the movie as intended, but even if you are, no one's going to have the exact same experience because it's not going to pause it at the same place as you are unless there are clear chapter stops, what yeah. you're talking about. Um, and that makes art tricky because when we talk about art, we're talking mm -hmm. about a shared experience that we have. We both yeah. saw the uh, same painting. We both heard the same song. If we didn't, mm -hmm. if you watched it in a completely different way, not just in like different speakers, but mm -hmm. like in it, you experienced it differently, dramatically. Yeah. I, we're I'm, not talking about the same thing anymore, and it's harder to have yeah, that conversation. I'll, although I'm, I'm constantly haunted by something David Cronenberg once said, and this was a while ago. Yeah. Uh, this was when DVDs were still a bit of a novelty. Yeah. Uh, something that DVDs had uh, that you couldn't do with VHS was uh, chapter stops. Yeah. You could, like, hit the skip ahead mm -hmm. to certain preset stops in the movie. Yeah, it was like this is like just before the big action sequence. Or yeah, here's the scene like, where mom and dad have it. And, the, and it'll be split up into like 20 chapters. Of yeah, so I know um, David Lynch was notorious for not having chapter stops. Like you, you start the movie, the you watch the whole yeah. thing. You don't get, you're not going to skip ahead. But Cronenberg said mm -hmm. that he liked that feature because it allowed you to watch the you remix the movie yourself. Mm-hmm. And turning the art experience into something a little bit more interactive. Yeah. And I don't want to say that this, you know, what the trends are, because I don't know, like, media consumption habits. Mm. But is this maybe an example of what interactive start and stop cinema is going to start looking like? I think, no. Here's, here's why. I think... If you're really planning for that, you'd probably have a specific plan in place rather than mm. just make a movie where the pacing's all loosey-goosey because you don't really care if people stop and start it or not. Yeah. I think what we're doing right now is creating a, a, a artsy-fartsy excuse for laziness, and I'm not really a big fan of it. But I do well, think there's something I, to be said for the way that we consume media changes. Yeah, and you know? I think consumption habits are changing, and uh, I, well, I'm... I'm I'm okay with the idea. Not, not trying of, to predict anything, but uh, it's this could be a reason why the movie was made the way. It was. But, but here's the thing, though. That's been the case ever since we took movies out of theaters. Yeah. When we put movies on television, even for the very first time, you could just walk in halfway through the movie, only see a chunk of it. We have YouTube now. A lot of people might only have seen a clip from a movie because that's the clip that people know, and you've never seen the whole thing in context. Uh, Hell, think about the way we think about movies. Think of any movie... Everyone listening here, think of any movie you've ever seen all the way through. 
Alright, now are you remembering every single minute of it in real time, or are you jumping around to like, I remember that scene that I like. Yeah, yeah. Here's the part that really stuck with me. You're jumping to the parts that you remember, you're kind of skimming over the parts that get you there, but they're not really important to you in your head. Time, is not, time is not linear. Time is not linear, and our memory isn't linear, so we spend most of our time, no matter how many movies we watch, not watching movies. And when we remember them, we remember them a certain way, we remember them kind of all over the place. So I'm not going to get too up in arms about people remixing or whatever. I think you should try to watch the movie as intended, because that way you're going to get what the artist wanted you to get, which may or may not be good, may not even be the best version of it. Um, But yeah, it's an interesting conversation to have. I'll give you that. Um, Tell me about, why don't you? Okay. uh, The Quiet Girl. Okay, um... I will tell you about The Quiet Girl. Please do. This is an Irish film. It's uh, up for uh, Best uh, International Feature at Mm -hmm. this year's Academy Awards. Uh, As of this uh, recording, the Academy Awards haven't happened yet. They're happening next week. But uh, The Quiet Girl is uh, is spoken mostly in the Irish language, some Mm -hmm. English. And uh, it's set in uh, a a really um, sort of remote Irish village in the early 1980s. And the main character, the quiet girl, let me mm. look up the actress's name. Mm. Uh, uh, she's played by Catherine Clinch. She plays mm. a character named Kate. How loud is she? Uh, she's quite quiet. And in okay. fact, um, she's called like kind of a weirdo. Okay. Uh, the first shot of this movie is her sort of hiding in these tall grasses while her uh, her mother is looking for her. It's like she's trying to sort of vanish into nature. She's trying to disappear and. She is ignored mm. and kind of neglected by her family. She's called weird at school, and her mom is pregnant. And rather than have to worry about their young daughter, they say, we're just going to send you to like live with this random foster family out in the sticks while your mom has her child, mm. and we're just going to leave you there. Oh. And they're so neglectful, they drive her there, they leave her there, and then they drive off without her suitcase. Or they they drive off with her suitcase. Oh my god! And so she has she has like wear some clothes. Oh my god! Uh, she's taken in by the foster family, and it's really uh, played by Carrie Crowley and um, Andrew Bennett with the characters. Oh no, those are the actors, and their their home is sunnier, mm-hmm. warmer. They tell her stories about uh, the wishing well nearby. Things are a little bit strained because she's so quiet, but this film is told in these little, tiny, intimate, silent moments between the girl and these new foster parents. And we very slowly, in a very almost pastoral children's novel sort of a way, begin to see her warm up Mm. and see that she's finally getting the affection from these foster parents that she was clearly not getting at home. Yeah. And it will eventually climax with, you know, what's going to happen when the parents come back to get her, if they even come back to get her. Uh, it's, it's, it takes a little bit of patience. Mm. Uh, a lot of the story is told through small moments and mm. little looks. Little, It's called The Quiet Girl. And so yeah, I was about quiet to say, moments. Yeah. There's not I was about a, to make a, a pun. Not, not a lot of explanatory dialogue or mm. exposition. It's all a sort of experience. And if you're open to that kind of pastoral beauty, then 
you're not going to find something necessarily really hard hitting, but you're going to find something incredibly sweet. Hmm. Uh, and you're going to find something really sort of moving and maybe even recognizable in this experience. Because huh. everybody probably has the experience of feeling like the adults aren't listening to them when oh, you're yeah. a kid. Sure. Uh, and yeah, I think this sort of really captures that experience very, very well. Um, I think, uh, Kate, the main girl is very, very good. Uh, a very interesting sort of character who is communicated through her experience. Uh, this is based on a novel. Mm. And from what I understand, the novel was, you know, because it's told from the uh, protagonist's perspective, had a lot of inner monologue Mm. and this is, uh, has to go absent that. And it might seem a little bit insubstantial as a result. There's going to be a lot of just long shots of a young child just sort of staring off. But I, I really got into it. I really liked sort of the, the, the texture of it and the uh, how it implored me to slow down a little bit and pay attention. And I, I, I always like when a film does that. All right. So yeah, I, I, I really dug it. I dug The Quiet Girl. Well, that sounds quite good. That mm-hmm. does. I don't have anything to add to that. I don't know. Like, I think I've seen now three of the um, International Feature Academy Award nominees. Oh, okay. Because Close was another one. Yeah. And then All Quiet on the Western Front. Right. Hey, two quiet movies. Uh, yes. Yeah. One is quiet and pastoral. The other one is <laughs> the other, on, the, quiet the, on the Western Front. <laughs> yeah, the other I mean, one is... But here's the thing. One of them a, is... A horrendous, muddy... One of them is about a quiet or... girl. Fine. Mm-hmm. The other one is all quiet. So that's the quieter film. I suppose so. Yes, you're very clever. Tell me about the Shudder movie. Okay, it's a new movie on Shudder. It's called Spoonful of Sugar. Um, this is a story about a nanny. Now, if movies have taught me anything, it's that unless you're Mary Poppins, or unless Mary Poppins has some very egregious deleted scenes, all nannies are evil. They want to come into your family, usurp the household, take over the role of the mother usually, uh, sleep with the dad, raise the kid as their own, kill the mom. That's every Lifetime movie I've ever seen. That's the hand that rocks the cradle. That's that's just um, the fear. Did, did you ever see um, William Friedkin's film The Guardian? No, I never saw The Guardian. But wait, hmm. is that the one that takes us in the hotel? No, no. It's, okay. uh, it's It takes place in a mansion. Uh, and okay. And it taps into that universal fear, the fear of the help you hire to raise yeah. your children for you. It's like such this bourgeois movie. That's the thing. Uh, it's such a bourgeois subgenre, yeah. the evil nanny movie, because it's about... we don't all have nannies. Yeah. First off, we don't fucking have nannies. And secondly, like, I'm already mad at you for being able to afford one. Uh, but also, it's a very... Uh, it, it, it's a very conservative fear. Mm. The idea that you have this perfect suburban Ozzie and Harriet family unit and all it's going to take is an interloper because everyone wants what you have what you have is so perfect that Mm. someone's going to come in and they're going to steal it and they're going to destroy it and seriously I've seen so many Lifetime movies over the year that are some variation on this that it must be keying into someone's specific fear so fair enough but it's also hard to make it interesting now because it's been done so many times. Yeah, uh, there's an exception to this. There's the movie uh, Nanny came out a uh, Sundance last year. Different oh, take on it. Good movie. That's yeah. That's from the nanny's perspective, though. It's not yeah. about the fearful bourgeois family. No, it's still kind of a horror movie, but it's in a different way. I don't want to ruin it for you. It's a very good movie. I like that movie. But this one is much more. We're going to take the typical scary nanny thing, but we're going to try to do it a different way. And for a while, they succeed, and then they stop succeeding. 
Um, it's a story about a young woman named Millicent. Uh, she says she's 21. You get the impression she's probably lying and is younger. Okay. She applies for a job to be a nanny slash babysitter for a bourgeois family. He's a carpenter. Uh, the mom writes books. Uh, they have a son who has special needs. He's maybe nine. Uh, he doesn't talk. Uh, they're concerned that a lot of his psychological illnesses may have something to do with hyper-specific allergies, like he can't have certain foods or touch certain fabrics, so they're being very, very careful, keeping him very isolated. Mm -hmm. He goes around everywhere sort of in a protective uh, clothing, which they've made to look like a spaceman suit because it makes him feel better. Um, so this, this kid has very specific needs. And here's this young person who says that she's studying child-rearing at college, and she might be everything that they need. The kid reacts to her very quickly. Uh, he even writes to her when he's like, she says, hey, what you drawing there? And the kid writes, hi, which the kid never does. Hmm. So they're like, okay, we have our concerns, but we'll give her a shot. What they don't realize is that this young woman is not in a good place. Uh, she is currently uh, seeing a psychologist and he has her on, he has her microdosing on LSD. Okay. Which she started not microdosing on. And she's starting to see... Macrodosing. Well, maybe not macrodosing, but she is starting to hallucinate. So you start questioning everything that she's uh, seeing or doing. And then you realize her living situation is she is living with a guy who seems to be one of her foster dads, but who seems to expect things of her. And you realize that she is coming off of a long history of probably nonstop abuse within mm -hmm. the foster system. Uh, which might not be something that's responsible you'd be responsible for demon you wouldn't be responsible if you demonize that too hard uh -uh. so for a while you think okay well maybe we know this genre so well that we're so ready to expect this young woman is going to be mm. the the dangerous interloper that maybe this movie is clever enough because it's doing this weird thing with the lsd it's trying to do something different um they're going to go in a different direction. Maybe the mom, uh, who is played by Cat Foster, she's really good in this movie. Uh, maybe the mom will turn out to be the person who's the real uh, danger here, or the dad, or the kid. Who the hell knows? Like some, you're waiting for it. The other shoe to drop. After a while, it's just the, it's just the nanny. Like there's there's, there's more to, there's more to be revealed. But basically, you realize that the nanny is dangerous. She starts. <laughs> Spiking all of the kids' medications with LSD, which oh, is probably geez. not good, uh, and you—it starts becoming more a lot more anxiety, more mm. seduction, um, and it starts following. It starts off by not following the rule book, and then it just goes into the rule book, just full bore. The ending kind of saves it a little bit. There's like some unexpected elements at, towards the end, but this is one of those horror movies where. Technically, it's fine. Mm -hmm. It looks good. Uh, it's directed by Mercedes Bryce Morgan. She does an excellent job, I think, of making the material work as best she can. The cast is excellent. There's some scary bits. But this is one of those low-budget horror movies where, boy, if this was a Tales from the Crypt episode, it would be a winner. <laughs> and those are 30 minutes yeah, long. If yeah, if this was a short 30 to 40-minute Tales from the Crypt type of get-in, set-up, reversal reversal on top of a reversal violence 
and then maybe one last little zinger, one last little mm. twist or, or button on it, it would be great. But because it's feature length, it just... You, you get used to the idea that it's going to be more interesting than it is and that it isn't that interesting. Yeah. And that's very frustrating. Um, I will say this, though. I, I don't dislike this movie. I think it's okay. It has one of my favorite closing credit sequences I've seen in a while. Okay. So it's worth, after the movie is over, just, just watch the closing credits for uh, 90 seconds. Not There's not like a scene at the end. There's just stuff plays under them. And it's actually like kind of cool and kind of creepy and, and I liked it. Um, so yeah, Shudder has pretty good taste in horror movies and this is pretty good. Mm. But this is not a breakout. It's just, if the if the idea of evil nanny using LSD on the kid sounds interesting that, to you that, that sounds fun but yeah that's a good that's a good premise that's a good start but it unfortunately it just sort of doesn't do enough with that um but it's not bad i've definitely seen this done worse but i've also seen it done better and it's just never quite the, outside of the lsd thing and maybe a bit at the end it doesn't do enough new with the premise it's still just evil nanny interloper story and uh. considering all the things that it raises about mental health and uh, various forms of abuse and how they uh, manifest later on in terms of if they're not processed correctly in terms of violence the movie seems to have more interesting ideas on its mind but it doesn't know how to capitalize on them and it ultimately doesn't really say anything about them uh, so it's a boo. bit of a disappointment but it's not terrible uh, I don't know if we're going to be speaking about not terrible or not because the last thing we want to talk about is die heart <laughs> Um, <laughs> Die Hard is one of the TV mm. series that they had on Quibi. Well, and, but it was a TV series that was done in like what was it like seven minute chunks, uh, something like that. To, to, to recall, remind people what Quibi was, okay. uh, it, it the the world's shortest lived, uh, second shortest lived now. Yeah. Uh, CNN Plus like oh, cr- yeah. crashed faster now, but. Yeah. Um, it started up uh, in 2020 and it closed in 2020. It was only in, in operation for about seven months. Mm-hmm. Um, and but it was its own streaming service and it, was, it had a yeah, unique gimmick. The, it, was supposed to, yeah. it was supposed to be watched on your phone. It was designed for phones. There wasn't a TV version of Quibi. It was yeah. just for mobile devices. You could get it on a tablet as well. Yeah. Uh, and the idea was, uh, this is something to be watched in public. Mm-hmm. Uh, consumption like, on the go. Uh, yeah. It was you get somewhere early. Uh, you got ten minutes to kill. Boom! You're, watch you're, a quibby. You're, you're waiting, in line at the coffee yeah, shop. Wait, boom! Watch a line, taking a quick bus ride yeah. on the subway. Whatever it is, you can watch yeah. a quibby. And um, you know, cl- clearly, uh, the the founders of Quibi were like saw people on their phones watching like TikTok. It's like, well, yeah. why don't we just put a material? Get a lot of yeah. celebrities. Do real it's uh, something like, ambitious. Yes, yeah, you know? slicker, make it bigger productions and. I Which, found it to be an incredibly fascinating kind of media experiment. Mm-hmm. How is uh, how can we change the way people consume movies? Uh, mm-hmm. Sadly, it was launched during lockdowns yeah. when people weren't out in public and they yeah. could actually afford to sit out, sit down and watch longer form things. They didn't want quick bites. No, they really wanted uh, deep dives, and there was no sense. There's no point in watching something on your phone when your laptop is right here, and you mm-hmm. get resentful. Yeah. Quibi, like, well, why can't I watch it on my bigger TV? Yeah. And it's, so, it's kind of annoying. Uh, I, I was a big booster for Quibi. I was a big fan of Quibi. Yeah. I found uh, some of their productions to be really quite good. There were some ambitious uh, ones, I got to mm-hmm. admit. Like, some of them were just, here's a TV show on Quibi. Yeah. Uh, but some of them actually, like, played with the format. What was that Steven Soderbergh one where, like... It was called Wireless. Yeah. And uh, that, that was... I put That's that on my idea. I put that on my list of best films of the year. Because um, uh, Wireless was... 
the deal with Quibi is you could watch it on your phone upright. Like vertically. Vertically. Or you could turn it sideways if you wanted to. Mm. I tended to watch them upright just because that's trying to get into the the, the spirit of the Quibi. Uh, But with wireless, if you watched it uh, sideways Mm -hmm. uh, in sort of landscape format, Mm -hmm. you'd see uh, the main character... In a car, it's mostly in, in a truck, in a on a snowy road. Yeah, he like his Him car making, crashes, and now he's trying to survive amidst the elements. Well, that, that's that's part of it, but yeah. uh, most of it is also him making phone calls, and mm. we get to learn a little. It's kind of like in that movie Locke. We learn about sort of mm. some dark things in his own past and his relationships with people. Yeah, so he's on the phone a lot. If you turned your phone upright while you're watching wireless, mm-hmm. you could see what was out, whatever was on his phone at that time. Mm-hmm. So if he's on a video call, you could see the other end of the call. If mm-hmm. he's listening to music, just sitting in the car, you could see his like Spotify playlist. And that's such a clever idea. It's yeah. really clever. Uh, it's and you not can't something. That, that yeah, it's not something that could, could be done in any other media. You I could do it really like clever. you could do it like picture in picture, which mm-hmm. would be fine. Mm-hmm. But, but you're not, not the, getting you're that, taking away that interactive yeah, element, that, that element where you can mm. control what you're seeing, and mm. and even like in their other material, like I saw Die Hard mm. uh, when it was on Quibi, and it's it's a feature length movie basically, but it's divided into chapters small enough yeah, that they could like be little individual, seven to ten minutes. But yeah. if you watch the whole thing, it's a short-ish comedy, more, more or less a feature film. Yeah, but if you're watching it like it, vertical. Hmm. It's framed for verticality. If you're watching it on its side, sometimes the entire camera angle would change. Yeah. Like, yeah. it wasn't just, like, pan and scan, where, like, it's tighter in on a rectangle in vertical than it is on wide. They actually did plan it so that you'd be watching two films simultaneously and you just switch between them, and it would maximize for whichever format you're using, and that's clever. Mm-hmm. That's impressive, actually. I thought that was kind of neat. Yeah, and, I thought and, they did a good job of it. And I'll say this for Quibi. The tech was impeccable. Yeah. It never lagged. It was yeah. always just nice and slick. Always worked. Maybe it's because no one was using it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Uh, but Die Hard, um, the premise of Die Hard, uh, which is now on Amazon, which the, and they cut it back into a feature film. Yeah. Uh, it's the same. It's the same they, they fucking just, thing. They just cut out the intermissions. There's not a difference. Yeah. Um, they just took out the ad breaks. They took out the Quibis. Yeah, um, I'll say this: something Quibi revealed was you can take really corny material, mm. and it's so much easier to consume in a little ten-minute block. Yeah, than it is as a film. We're much more forgiving because I this, think. as a film, this stinks. It's not a good film. As a Quibi, it works fine. Yeah, and like a little chunk, it's like cause because it's not, nothing about it. Because the novelty, the novelty isn't wearing off when it's serialized. Well, it's also here's here's the other thing. Die Hard is one of those comedies mm. where it's not that funny. No, like the, it, sometimes the, uh, it's funny, but usually it's not. They're making jokes and it's amiable, mm. but it's actually very funny. If you're just sitting in a theater or you're just watching a whole movie and you're not laughing for that long, your your patience and tolerance for mediocre at best comedy hmm. really starts to drag and just it, it just comes into having like no patience left. Yeah. Five minutes of perfectly acceptable generic good natured uh-huh. material, even if you don't really laugh at it, is you can be a lot more forgiving about it. Yeah, yeah. I, and I feel like that was something Quibi nailed. Yeah. That they took sort of like you know, A A listers, well known stars, put them in uh, in some cases, just okay material. Yeah. But because you're consuming it in little pieces, you're getting like, 
you can keep on getting the same high over and over again, essentially. Yeah. Rather than letting it wear on your patience. Yeah. So uh, the premise of Die Hard to remind you, because uh, we talked about it on the show before. Uh, Kevin uh, Hart plays himself. He plays, and, yeah. And Kevin Hart is. Kevin Hart has been pigeonholed. He's the 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 comedy guy. He's like hmm. he's short, and he's he's, he's tired he, of being the sidekick to yeah. uh, spe- in this movie specifically to Dwayne Johnson. Yeah, but that that also is him in real life. Yeah, he's he plays the comedy sidekick even in action movies. Like you'll watch the ride along movies. Ice Cube is the badass, and then there's Kevin Hart, hmm. the comic relief character. Yeah, so the movie is about how he wants to be an action star himself for once. But uh, this producer, played by Memory Service Jean Renault. Yeah, uh, is like, I I want you to be an action star, but in order to do that and be convincing, I have to send you to action star boot camp. Mm. And these types of camps are actually things that really do exist. Like if you're going to play a Marine in a movie, they'll put you on like a retreat where, you know, it's obviously not nearly as intensive, but you'll get the gist of it. And you'll have some sense of like what it feels like to be part of a platoon and what it feels like to go through basic training. And you'll understand how to like hold the gun right and how to wear the hat right and how to salute correctly and all these things. So in this particular one, he's end up being trained by uh, and it'd be almost be funnier if he was playing himself. But a character played by John Travolta, mm. who is allegedly the one who trains all the big action movie stars to be badasses. And he's going to put Kevin Hart and other other celebrities have spoken very highly yeah. of what he's jo- done. Josh yeah. Hartnett has a very funny cameo in this, yeah. actually. Um, everyone thinks he's great, but Kevin Hart is convinced that he's a maniac and he's trying to get Kevin Hart killed. And what we realize over time, before too long, is that Kevin Hart's experience is being filmed. And maybe someone actually wants him dead, or maybe someone doesn't care if he lives or dies. They're just putting him through the ringer for their own entertainment value. Mm. And so after a while, you're questioning, is John Travolta a bad guy? Is Is he just an actor? Is he legitimately unhinged? What's his deal? And And uh, it doesn't really matter at the end, because the whole point is he just makes Kevin Hart go, ah! Yeah, and, and and Natalie Emmanuel is in it. Uh, she deserves so much better. I mean, she. Th- this was prior to like her involvement in like the Fast and Furious movies. I think it was like, so. No, I think it was right after. Oh, was it? it was, was oh, yeah, twenty twenty. Yeah, you're she right. Really it, done was right it. it was like she 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 was like overdue for something really cool in her career, mm-hmm. and that yeah, didn't uh, really happen. Yeah. She was on Game of Thrones around that time, though. Oh, okay. She was a not a main character, but a recurring mm-hmm. character. She's in like forty episodes of the thing. Yeah. I, I like Natalie Emmanuel. She's great. She's I like her a lot. Uh, yeah, Kevin Hart is doing his shtick. It's all lazy. It, yeah, as a film, it's completely lazy. lazy. It's a good high concept, I, uh, but lazy execution. So, uh, if if you were curious about what was on Quibi, mm-hmm. this is not the way to do it. No, this is a bad uh, example. Th- this is this is not. This is uh, one where they were resting on we got Kevin Hart and yeah, John Travolta, and, and they're doing Die Hart too. It's going. They're they're doing a sequel. They're going to follow it up. Uh, who when, asked? Specifically, look, who asked? When when Quibi died out. Yeah. Uh, there was like months of nothing, and then rather curiously, the Quibi Twitter account uh, was the, the the Roku channel yeah. said, "Hey, we're thinking about buying Quibi," and the last thing Quibi ever tweeted out was, "Someone has summoned me." <laughs> and a lot of the not all yeah. of it, but a lot of the Quibi programming uh, moved its way to the Roku channel. Yeah, and so you, you can, can watch, watch like Murder House Flip over there. Yeah, mur- which and, also got picked up again. Yeah, they, renewed Murder House Flip. It's Murder the, House it's, Flip is... It's the most ghoulish program. It, it sounds like uh, a sketch comedy premise, but basically they take houses that are specifically famous because of horrifying murders that took place there, mm. and then they and go they in... And they remodel them, yeah. And they remodel them badly. 
I've uh, never seen the house look better after they got done with it. The, there's no accounting for taste, but uh, yeah, it's it's not. It's good. kind of kind of a ghoulish premise. It's like, anyway. hey, let's take this like uh, giant marble, uh, uh, like real marble uh, fireplace and, and cover it, and yeah. let's crush it. Let's just break it, make it completely useless, and then we're just gonna have a fucking wall there. And I'm like. You fucking idiot! Yeah, would, they, what are you doing? They weren't very good uh, no. interior designers. And they always talk about, like, maybe mm. when we're digging up the backyard to put in this shed, we'll finally find the other mm. missing bodies. Spoiler, yeah, they, they, never, never do, they never do. Because yeah. if they did, that would be in the publicity for the show. Mm. They would say, we found a body. You're going to have to watch the season of Murder House yeah. clip. So you know a, a really, they never uh, did. It's pointless. A, a really curious coincidence is uh, you and I had just watched the film All Dogs Go to Heaven. Oh, yeah. And uh, oh, the, the child actor in All Dogs Go to Heaven. That's a very sad uh, story. Yeah, if you look up what happened to her, she yeah. she was killed yeah. uh, by her father. Yeah, and, like just uh, before like the movie was like done. Yeah, uh, yeah. And there's a couple of shots in that movie where you can tell that like uh, Don Bluth is hmm. really heartbreaking. Like his heart is breaking as yeah. he's like animating those sequences. Uh, and but, and they, so, but they uh, shortly <laughs> thereafter, I was watching Quibi and I saw Murder House flip, and they went to her house where where that we're, actress died. We're gonna make it look nice, it's, and I'm like, it's fuck it's you, so horrible, that's so ghoulish. Yeah. What are you doing? Uh, but Quibi did some other things besides that they were did. good, they, and they, uh, yeah, I, I loved what they did with the Princess Bride. Yeah. Uh, I loved what they did with. Wireless. I hope that resurges somewhere because I would like to watch that. I miss that. Yeah, and. That's not on Roku, to the best of my knowledge. No, it's Someone not. put that out. Where is that? For God's sake, that sounds like the one everyone liked. <laughs> so annoying. Yeah, they, that's going to pop up new... on like some 4K restoration of The Princess Bride someday. They're just going to put that in as a special feature. Yeah. They, they did so. a, a new version of The Fugitive, which had a whole new story. Yeah. Uh, they did a new version of the, the Most Dangerous Game, which was set in Detroit. And now it's got uh, a whole new season. Oh, they, they did that one they too? Did, they did they a that one up again. That. Right? That one, I think they did one where it's set in New York or something now. Oh, yeah. All right. Uh, so I, I felt like they were doing some really interesting things over at Quibi. Uh, people yeah. just sort of mocked at it as an idea. Yeah. I have a feeling a lot of people didn't really give it a chance. And why would they? No, they, they were very locked in. But uh, it. It's a sham. It's only five bucks a month. I know. Uh, <laughs> for, for seven months. <laughs> anyway, let's uh, do our movie review roundup as we're going to take all the movies we've talked about and we're going to review them on the critically acclaimed scale, which, if you're new, goes from C minus to C plus. The mm. lowest you can get is a C minus. You're below average. We don't think you're particularly good. C is average. Most movies are around that zone. Some good, some bad. Mm. Meh. And then C plus is a good movie. We recommend that movie. Maybe we even think it's great. Whitney. Yes. Die Hard. Uh, C minus. Yeah. Like it wasn't that wasn't that good on Quibi. It was one yeah. of the lesser Quibbies. Uh, and yeah. now that it's in a feature film, all of its weaknesses. Like I, yeah. I. I, I I have to be honest, I kind of scanned through a lot of it, because it's the same Well, you've seen it already. I'd, I'd yeah. seen it already. I, I guess, so I, think, I wanted to sort of get a little, little bit of a taste of the bigger experience. It's, it's got some highlights. I think the Josh Hartnett's legitimately funny in it. Uh, he's fine, but it's yeah. it's too little too late. No, no, no. By that point, on. the movie's not worth... It's yeah. not worth watching just to get to his part. Yeah. But if you find yourself watching Die Hard, eventually Josh Hartnett's going to get there, and for about 10, 15 minutes, it's going to be funny. Mm-hmm. Fair warning. Uh, the, the film is called Die Hard, and... Uh, Instead of John Travolta, they were originally going to have Bruce Willis. Which would have made a lot of sense. Would have made a lot of sense. But yeah. um, as we now know, Bruce Willis was actually struggling with... Uh, yeah. The ailing health, yeah. Yeah, a brain ailment. And yeah. um, 
he was making a lot of films, but if you watch those movies, you can see he's, he's doing it as best he can. Yeah. And he was shooting to, around a lot of his infirmities. He was trying to make as much money as he could before it was too late to yeah, like, yeah. take care of himself and his family. And you know what? I can't blame him for that. We, Absolutely We not. joked before we knew why. Yeah. It was like, oh, Bruce Willis, it's such a shame he's making all these straight-to-video movies, and now we get it. it sucks, yeah, we like, didn't know why he was doing it. We thought yeah. it was just... This is all he wanted to do now. This, oh, seems, is this all yeah. Bruce Willis can get? That's so sad. And yeah. now we realize. And that's, but, it's sad. Yeah. Um, but I, I think um, uh-huh. one of the reasons he turned it down was because mm-hmm. of his infirmity. If you got um, John Travolta, though, you should change it to something like Face Heart. Ooh, yeah. You know? like what's the, I think that's his big... That's probably his most famous action movie, right? Broken think, Arrow or Face I, Off would I be like the big so, two. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, well, let's you, call, you call it Heart Fiction. It's not bad, actually. Yeah. Um, okay, next up, uh, the spoonful of sugar. I'm gonna give it a C. All right. Um, it had opportunities to do something new and really elevate the material. It doesn't, but it is sometimes very interesting. And I do think that if you have any interest in that sort of, ah, oh, man, my nanny's gonna take over my family again. Subgenre. It's a pretty good one, but it never fully reinvents it to a way that's exciting. So it's a C. Um, bah, 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 the Quiet Girl, Quiet Girl C plus. Mm. Yeah, really, really gentle, really good. Very. No, the word I use was pastoral. Like yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's really good. It's nice. Uh, we have a ghost. Uh, I guess a C minus. Really? Uh, like it, it has so much promise, but it's two movies. Yeah. And I, when you cram them together like that, it's not interesting. I'm torn because again, the pieces are fine. But, I don't. But I don't. Too many pieces. There is too many pieces. Like it's 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 not. A definite, like, you know, rejection. I'm not saying like it's it's bad. I'm gonna give it a very low C. Okay. I think if you're watching it, you're gonna you're gonna get some enjoyment out of it. But it's very very clear that this needed an editor or more development or something in order to be a better yeah, for sure uh, production. Uh, Cocaine Bear. Cocaine Bear. I see. Okay. Uh, I I want I wanted there to be so much more violence and mayhem. Mm-hmm. The violence and mayhem that's in it is fine. Mm-hmm. Too much human stuff. You, you're getting impatient. Get, Story of my life. Get, give me more bear fiending for drugs. Nice. And lastly, Creed three. Creed three C plus. Yeah. I I really enjoyed Creed three. I like the Creed movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think they're uh, doing really good character stuff. Yeah, yeah, nothing but hits so far in the Creed series. Uh, I I also give it a C plus. Again, I don't really think that there's a bad movie in this series. Even the movies that aren't as good as the others are still pretty good. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't call Rocky V bad. I wouldn't call even the theatrical cut of Rocky IV bad. They're just... They don't really fully work. Yeah. Uh, but I think, seriously, the Creed movies are just going strong. And what an interesting, like, wonderful new character they've introduced. And some really exciting work from Michael B. Jordan. So, yeah, kudos. Creed three. Nicely done. Uh, next time on Critically Acclaimed, we'll be back with a review of Scream 6. It's fun. More more sequels. Well, more... I, I haven't seen it yet, so I don't know if it's fun. Well, it's a fun premise. I mean, it's... Oh, here, let me put it this way. Scream is another franchise where I don't think there's really been a bad one. <laughs> I disagree with you there. Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> Scream 5 was a big stinker. I didn't think it was a big stinker. I liked it fine. I don't think there's been a bad one. Right. I think even if there's... Ones that are like it, better than the others. They're none I, of them are terrible. I think it's been a gentle saunter downward since the start. Okay, yeah, they well. got, I, I actually tell a lie. I think I like Scream Four better than Scream I like Scream Three. Good. Scream Four is quite good. But, we'll, um, we'll talk about it in great detail in the next episode of Critically Acclaimed. Um, so thank you everybody for listening. Uh, if you want to listen to this episode, or you already have, but if you want to listen to future episodes ad-free, you can head on over to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. All of our new episodes uh, show up ad-free, and we also have a ton of exclusive shows at every single tier. 
uh, every single tier you get new cool stuff. So we have our Step Up podcast, which has also you also get access to our older uh, Batman podcast. We reviewed every single That's episode right. of the Adam West show. All of those are available. Massive catalog opens to you as soon as you click on it. If, um, if you want to go back far enough, we even did a Firefly podcast. We did. We every episode of Firefly and the comic book series, at least uh, at the time. There's been more since. Um, we have an Oscars podcast. We review every single movie ever nominated for Best Picture. We just started the 1950s, so it's a big old back catalog. Uh, once you uh, join up at that tier, we have the Star Trek podcast, All Our Yesterdays. We review every single episode of Star Trek in order. If you sign up at that tier, like nearly 200 episodes unlock all at once. Mm-hmm. So you get a huge mountain of bang for your buck. We do commentary tracks. We're about to do one for Pretty in Pink. Uh, we do uh, Discord hangouts with our patrons. It's a lot of fun. Um, also next week, uh, actually no, this week actually, now that I think about it, uh, we're going to do an episode where uh, Whitney and I uh, talk about the Oscars. That's we're right. We're do our, our usual uh, friendly wager to see uh, who can who can predict the most. So we'll walk you through all of those. I still have a few films I'm trying to watch before we record that, but we'll record it soon. Um, and if you want to talk about anything we discussed on this episode, or you want to talk about anything at all, you can always email us, and we might read your email on an upcoming episode of We've Got Mail. Mm-hmm. The email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Whitney, what is our P.O. Box? Yeah, send us an actual piece of physical mail to the Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641-565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Yep. Uh, we are on Twitter at Critic Acclaim. I am at William DeBi. I'm at Whitney Seibold. And um, never forget, everyone's a critic. I want to go to the Midnight Show. I'm sorry, what?